Uh, good morning to all of you. Um, good morning to those who are online watching as well. And we have part of our fellowship downstairs at F3. Glad to have them with us too. I uh, hope you're excited about our day and what we're going to be talking about today. I know I am. As every time I listen to that uh, little bumper there and look at that phrase, the triumph of the gospel, um, having studied Acts before, but just kind of like anticipating, knowing where we're going, right? And to be able to see the Lord at work, um, we get like kind of like that front row seat kind of perspective in seeing uh, the gospel going to the ends of the earth, starting here in Jerusalem and going to be scattering out as we, as we go through this study. And so, um, again, I hope that's just challenging you and, and that little bumper is helping us to focus here on what are we talking about these days. Well, just um, to remind you here of how we started out. So, uh, what was it, somewhere around five weeks ago or whatever, I, I um, had the privilege of starting this series by talking about the author, Luke. And one of the things, if you remember, that I mentioned to you was that Luke is a person of detail. He, he writes down a number of things that are um, <clears throat> important, important little moments or important little details for us to understand. And we're going to talk about some of that here today. But um, I just wanted to remind you already in this slow process that we're going through um, of some of those details. Do you remember how Mark uh, in teaching this was telling us that uh, the scripture says that um, when the Lord was here for those 40 days after his resurrection, that there were many infallible proofs of his resurrection. He, he appeared, he did different things. He showed up and said, here, you know, touch these, t put your hand in my side. He actually ate food with them. There were a number of things that he did that were recorded for us in scripture and things that he did that weren't recorded. But one of the things that I love about that, the reason why we um, highlight the fact that Luke talks about these details is because we can have confidence that what the word of God says as far as a resurrected Christ that that's true that there were all kinds of witnesses and if you go to a court of law you're looking for two maybe three witnesses who, who can say hey this is true I saw it with my own eyes there were over 500 people who witnessed to this event right so there's things like that that we learn about. Do you remember Mark also told us that during those 40 days that Christ was teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God? I don't know about you, but for me, when I heard that, it was like, well, wait a minute here. Like, why in the world isn't he talking about the things of the church? We're, we're getting ready for the church to start. We know, we know, because we're looking backwards on history, right? They didn't necessarily know that, but we do. We know that, that after the Lord's ascension, it's only going to be 10 days before the church begins. That's all the time that's left. <clears throat> Why in the world did he not teach on that? And yet he tells them, hey, you guys go back to Jerusalem. You wait there. And guess what? The one that I've told you about, and John's gospel records this for us, the one that I've told you about, that comforter, he's going to come. And guess what he's going to do? He's going to guide you into all truth because he's the spirit of truth. And he actually uh, is going to lead us as believers along the way. And he's going to be, I'll say, one of the primary reasons, I believe, why God wasn't teaching on the church at that time. Because the Spirit of God was going to come, and he was going to indwell, and he was going to lead, and he was going to guide, and he was going to teach, and he was going to inspire people to write letters that were going to be helpful to us now, centuries down the road. <clears throat> Perfect plan, right? that God has all in place. And we can look at these things and we can see 
<clears throat> excuse me, some of the details that Luke has recorded for us. Now, we mentioned that Luke is a bit of a historian through all of this, and I don't know about you, but I like history. But whether you like history or you hate history, if you hate history, probably in class you were like, oh, man, here we go, we got to go to history class, and, like, you want to tune out. Me, I was like, that was one of my favorite ones. <clears throat> but either way, the, our perspective of that history can be such that we learn about those events, but we don't learn from those events. You know what I'm talking about, the difference of that? So I just want to remind you again that the things that we're talking about here as we go through this book of Acts are to learn from. We want to understand. We want to, the word would be appropriate, make them ours. We want for something that God is teaching us to actually begin to impact our lives, right? That's why we're going through this. Not to just learn history. It is a good story for sure. <clears throat> but those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it is that little axiom that's stated. And we have the opportunity to see God at work and learn from it and realize that he wants to do the same kind of things through us. So we want to trust him for that. God is able to use a life that is willing to be used by him. That's an amazing truth. Now, the other thing that we did <clears throat> as I was starting out is not only talking about Luke, but talking about the whole subject of a character study, looking at Luke, not just to learn some of these details about him and how that might impact the way we look at the book of Acts, but also looking at that individual. And maybe there's some traits that God wants to teach our own hearts about, right? Maybe there's some identification with that individual. Hey, I'm just like them. And if God can use them, then maybe God can use me. <clears throat> or maybe it's a trait that's missing in our lives. And we've seen God develop that in their life and we can trust him to develop in our lives. Well, today we're going to look at four individuals from a character study perspective, all right? So if you have your Bibles, please <clears throat> turn with me to Acts chapter 1, verse 15. <clears throat> and we're going to get started here. And before I, I open this up, I want to tell you that the first individual that we're going to be talking about is the Apostle Peter. Now, let me just give you some details about him. I've already said some of these before previously, but I just want to remind you at least of this. Maybe some of you don't know it. <clears throat> so Peter, the, the, the author of our book of Acts, Luke, also wrote a letter that we call Luke, right? Duh. <laughs> That's a pretty ingenious title. In Luke chapter 5, we have this author telling us about Peter, this guy that we're going to be talking about here next. And the story is that, that Peter has been out fishing all night long. And he and his, his partners, they've come back after that evening of fishing with nothing. And they're up against the shore in their boat, and they're cleaning their nets, and here's the Lord, and he borrows the boat because he's wanting to teach some people. And so he just steps out onto the boat, and Peter just pushes back just a little bit and settles right there, and he's able to teach off of that boat. And, and, and the acoustics are great, right? He's able to just communicate to these people. And when he's done, he turns to Peter, and he says, hey, let's just push back here a little bit and drop down the nets, and, and let's go fishing. That's a little loose translation, but it's got some accuracy to it. And Peter says, okay, well, I've been doing this all night long, and we haven't caught anything, but just because you say it, I'll throw it out a net, right? Now, Luke records, I don't know if you caught that. Luke actually records, the Lord said, throw out the nets, plural, and Peter says, I'll throw out the net, singular. And what happens? 
They bring in a haul of fish that, he, like, he's, he's yelling, hey, we need some help over here. We got some fish, and that's too much. And it filled the boats. That's what it did. And when that happened, Peter went to his knees in humility because, oh, my word, look what this did. Look, this, he's the master, right? And the Lord says to him, he says, Peter, I'm going to now teach you to be a fisher of men is what I'm going to do. And so that begins the journey that Peter is on. Now, if you study him and do a character study, you'll find that this guy has a lots of highs and lows. I love him for it, actually. This is a guy who actually rebukes God himself. You're, you think of the audacity. Oh, this is never going to, even though you said it, God, this is never going to happen. And, you know, as I was studying that and thinking about that, I thought, well, Tim, that's not a whole lot different than you. I do the same thing. Oh, I don't like getting God's face, if you want to say it that way, but I doubt what he says. Not only that, I find that when I'm praying at times, I actually tell God what he should do, like as if he doesn't know. Even though I know in my head that God is all-knowing, right, and he's in control of everything, somehow I think that I know a little bit more, and that shows up in the way that I talk to him at times. So, so I can identify with Peter. Can you identify? I see some of your heads going up and down. I get that. So this is a guy who's rebuked the Lord, but this is also a guy who walked on water. Can you believe that? I want to try that someday. Like Christ walked on water. We, oh, well, he's Christ. No wonder. Like he made it. He knows how to do this kind of stuff, right? But Peter is the only one who got out of the boat and walked on water. You talk about lows and you talk about highs. This is the one who at one point in time said, Lord, where are we going to go? Like you have the words of eternal life. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Amazing. Only to then later on, I don't know him. No, I don't know him. What are you talking about? I don't know him, right? Deny the Lord. Again, highs and lows, right? You, you see the ebb and flow of this guy. Well, in the 40 days that the Lord was here on the earth after his resurrection, Scripture tells us that he met Peter on the shore again, kind of a repetition of those early days. Hey, what you guys been doing? Catch anything? Oh, no, no. Well, Throw out the net on the other side of the boat and see what happens. And they bring in a haul. And John goes, hey, that's the Lord. Do you remember the story? And Peter comes into the shore and the Lord says, hey, Peter, do you agape love me? Oh, Lord, you know I phileo love you. And he repeats it three times. Peter can't answer him in the same way. And finally, the Lord says to him, Peter, here's the deal. I know you're having trouble answering me the way I'm asking you, but there's going to come a day when you're going to die for me. Now, the Lord had told Peter before that denial, because that's when, when, when Peter denied the Lord those three times, like that kind of shook him up. That caused him to actually say, during those 40 days that the Lord was here, Peter actually said, I'm done, I quit. And he's leading some of the other guys with him in that we're done with this kind of stuff. But the Lord had already predicted and told him that's going to happen. And in fact, I think it's in Luke 22, he says to him, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for, that your faith not fail. And when you are restored, will you strengthen your brothers? Okay, that's what the Lord prayed. We're going to see that prayer right now being answered. 
Okay, that's what's happening. That's what the Lord was trying to do there on the shore, and Peter wanted nothing to do with it, and yet the Lord continues to work in his life. Okay, so in verse 15, look at this. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of the names was about 120 and said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. So Peter stands up. This is a guy who, like, I'm done with this. Less than a month ago, I'm done with this. Now he's the guy who's standing up and saying, hey, guys, we're, we got to talk here. In other words, he takes the lead. He's stepping forward. God is encouraging him, strengthening him, restoring him. Remember, he said, and I'm praying that your faith not fail. And when he, when he says that, he's not talking about that there's not this denial that occurs, right? He's saying that that not fail to the point where, like, Peter, you're, you're, you're just giving up. So he's encouraged him to come back here in this. <clears throat> and he says, and when you will be restored, not if, when, because he knows, the Lord knows everything. He knows what's going to happen. So when that is, then I want you to strengthen your brothers. This is what he's doing. And Luke, by the Spirit of God, takes time to record that for us so that we know that what God desires to have happen, happens. It's not circumstances. It's not luck of the draw. It's God in control is what he is. <clears throat> so Peter stands up. And now you see a guy who's, who's gaining more confidence in the things of the Lord, using him in the way that God wants to use him. You also see out of here that Peter quotes from Scripture, or at least at this point alludes to Scripture. <clears throat> it tells us that he's a man who knows what the Word of God says. If we're going to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to have to be people who understand the Word. Now that doesn't mean we have to understand it to every nook and cranny of it. I don't think Peter understood it to that level. But we have to know it enough so that the Lord can use that to begin to challenge our own hearts with these truths. So that we respond. God can use a life that is willing. How does that life know to respond? It's because we go into the Word of God. And the Spirit of God is going to use the Word of God to teach us. And so what do we see here? Peter telling them that the scripture, verse 16, had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas. What? David talked about Judas? He didn't even know about this guy. This was centuries before. But God did. And God used, through his spirit, he used an individual called King David to write down in the Psalms a little something that had to do with, a total, in David's mind, a totally different perspective. And yet God was using that to prophesy, and Peter knew it, and Peter points to it, and Peter says, hey, this was spoken of before. The problem with this is only half of that prophecy has been accomplished at this time. Let's go on and look at the other. <clears throat> There's a parenthesis that occurs here in verse 18. Luke, in his, in his little um, desire to give us so much detail so that we understand the picture, kind of gives us a parenthesis. And he says, now this man, he's talking about Judas, purchased, purchased a field with the wages of iniquity and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed out. Pretty gross event. He died. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem so that that field is called in their own language, and I don't know how to pronounce that. I just say, when you speak Hebrew, like you're clearing your throat, and it sounds good Hebrew. That's how that goes. But in our language, it's called the field of blood. Okay? 
Why did, why did Luke record that for us? Because he's making sure that we know, based on what happened on the details, hey, that's the fulfillment of what, what David was talking about. The first half of it was that this land was going to be desolate. The owner of this land was going to become desolate. The person was going to die, no longer occupying that land. That had already happened. And he's claiming that. And he's saying, look, not only did that happen, it's so well known that everybody in Jerusalem knows the name of that field. So he's telling us some information so that we can have solid faith. We're standing on something. It's not like, whoa, my word, is, is it going to hold me up? No, we're standing on something solid. And so, so Luke makes sure that we, we get those details. But, <clears throat> but then he goes on, Peter goes on here, sorry. He says in verse 20, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it. There's the first half. But notice also it says, And let another take his office. So Peter's reading this, understanding this, and knows, hey, this has happened, but this hasn't happened. Okay, gentlemen, we've got to do something about this, because this is what the Word says. And so that's why Peter, standing on the Word of God, and as the, as the Spirit of God is at work in his own heart, and, and strengthening him, he's going to speak forward. He's going to, that restoration process is begun. And so he says, let another take his office. <clears throat> and so he, he gives some guidelines Verse 21, therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was named Justice, and Matthias. So <clears throat> Peter recognizes this second portion that hasn't been fulfilled yet. And he says, guys, we got to do something about that. And so together they look around and they say, okay, Peter, based on the criteria that you've given to us, which was this person has to have been a witness together from the very beginning, from the time of John's baptism, right? Like all the way back to that point, all the way through up until the present day, up until the resurrection of Christ, somebody who has seen all of that with us has to be taking the place of Judas, that's the criteria. Do we have anybody who can fit that criteria? Well, they had multiple people, but only two people's name was put forward. <clears throat> you think about this. There is um, the, the witness of, do you remember, as the Lord was uh, baptized by John, he comes up out of the water. It says, the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove, and an angel, or I mean a voice, sorry, from heaven was heard, and the voice said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Everybody should have gone like, oh, oh my word, right? What was that that we just heard? Standing in awe. Someone witnessed that, knew it knew all of the stories, someone who had been along with them, had watched him uh, do miracles of healing, had watched him actually, um, <clears throat> you know, raise the dead with Lazarus. Amazing. But had also been there and seen, yes, he's been resurrected. Do you remember as Mark was teaching on some of this, there was a point in one of his um, sermons that he was talking about that he's risen and what if he hadn't risen? And what would that mean to us? And just a reminder of this fact and, and the impact on us and the witness of that so that we can have confidence, just as Luke is writing this letter to try to gain that confidence for us, we can have confidence in that. And, and, and so this is the, the, this is the person. 
So they picked amongst two, two names put forward. Have you ever heard their names before? If you look at your Bible and you back up just a few uh, uh, sentences there, a few verses, you'll actually find there when, where the 11 disciples are actually named. If you go through them, you, you don't find these names because these are going to be included with them. You, you actually don't really know anything about them. Probably, if I had to say, ask you, okay, guys, tell me who are the 12 disciples, you, you probably would start out maybe with Peter. He's pretty well known. And maybe you would say Matthew and maybe James and John. And maybe by the time we got to Philip, we're kind of, now was Philip the deacon or was Philip an apostle? Like, oh, where do we, oh yeah, no, we would need to put him in there. And then after that, you start losing the names. You don't even know who they are. Did you know about this guy named Matthias? We're going to see him picked here in just a little bit. It says in the next verse, and they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. I got to highlight something here for you to catch the details of it. You will notice that what they didn't pray is, Lord, we, we got this guy named Barsabbas, and we got this guy named Matthias, and um, we think you ought to pick Matthias. So what do, you, what do you think about that? In other words, they weren't saying, this is who we think should be doing this, and Lord, would you, would you bless? Would, would you put your stamp of approval on that so that we can move forward here? Instead, there's a recognition that God already knows who's going to replace Judas. Now, some of the reasons why that's important to us is because you might be in a position of saying, oh, my word, like, like this is all going south. God's plan is being thwarted. No, he had predicted this through the mouth of David centuries ago. <clears throat> this is all in line. It all tells us that God's in control is what it is. But what I love about these individuals is they're recognizing that <clears throat> they know God well enough to trust him to have a plan. Do we? You see, sometimes we say that we know him, and when I use that word, remember, there's, there's different words in Scripture. Uh, one word can be, I just have an intellectual knowledge about him. But another word for know is that, is that um, experiential knowledge, <clears throat> and that's what I'm asking. Do I know him, not just in the details of who God is, but do I know him because he's been a part of my life and, and I'm seeing him in action and so that I can trust him for these things? You see, guys, it begins to play out even in our scenarios of we just picked two new elders and a new deacon out of about 1,200 people to decide from. How does that happen? I'm here as the discipleship pastor, and I've had some people ask me, so Tim, what's your plan? And I say, that's all wrong. We need to learn from these. We need to appropriate what we're reading here into our own lives today. And so the way that that works out is that God already knows how he wants to work this whole concept of discipleship into the very fiber and fabric of us as a, as a group of believers into our culture. He already knows how he wants to do that. 
Our joy and privilege is to ask him, would you let us in on that? Would you let us see that? Would you let us know this? And, and would you let us be a part of it, Lord? And you know what? He's not stingy. He's not like, well, this is my game. You guys got nothing to do with it. He invites us in, right? He can use a life that's willing to be used by him. And so they prayed and they said, Lord, you know the hearts. Now that's also an important aspect of this. We're not just, we're not just uh, you know, uh, that one looks good. Do you remember the story of um, when Samuel was going to uh, anoint the next king after Saul? And he comes to this family, the family line of Jesse, and he sees the first son. And he's tall, strapping, big dude. And Samuel looks at him and he says, that's got to be God's anointed right there. And the Lord says, no, 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 no. You see, here's the difference. You humans, you look on the outward appearance, but I look on the heart. That's what matters. Jeremiah tells us that God is the one who knows the heart. He tells us that my heart, your heart, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We think we know it, right? We think we know what our motives are at times, and yet sometimes God brings something to the surface to reveal to us, oh, Tim, you thought this way, but you don't. Here's an example. I wasn't sure if I would tell you this or not, but um, I actually, I have a broken rib. And um, I wasn't sure if I'd even be able to come up here and teach because of that. And uh, so yesterday, uh, the guys were gracious enough to let me at least try it, (laughs) which I'm thankful for. It's one of the first things that went through my mind is, oh, Lord, am I still going to be able to teach? (laughs) Um, So I'm in the shower getting ready for FSAT, and I'm praying about all of this in anticipation. And um, the Lord just allowed it to boil to the surface. You know what, son? You're a demonstrative person, and that's okay. That's just personality and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes you rely on that. Sometimes you think, like, son, what if I have you up on the stage and and you have to sit? What what if, I call it, sorry, I call it the John Morrison curse. John's here with me, so I can pick on him, right? The John Morrison curse. Oh, my word. My wife has broken her back. I've got a broken rib. Like, there's no one in my house that can pick up over 50 pounds. Like, we're in a bad way. And I tell people, don't move to Virginia. It's dangerous here. Well, in part, it's because the Morrison curse is what it is. So the Lord just just reminds me, you know, son, you, you say that you believe that I'm the one who teaches hearts. And yet you find yourself worked up a little bit over whether or not you can be demonstrative or not. Are you trusting in being demonstrative or are you trusting in my spirit to actually apply truth to a person's heart? Which one is it? And it was just like, oh, there it is, Lord. You just boiled it right to the surface. Now, I know that in my head, right? I can tell you what the truth says about that. But living it out is another story, isn't it? And that's what we're talking about, appropriating this for ourselves. So he says, God knows the heart. Now, let me just tell you that these two men who had been walking and talking and, you know, living with the Lord for those three and a half years that they were going to choose from, I believe that both of those are godly men. I don't believe that one of them, like, oh, he's got a bad heart and he's like, he's been putting on fake, you know, kind of thing. No, I, I think that they were both quality stellar men. That's why the group was putting them forward saying, hey, what we've seen, we, we believe that these guys fit that qualification. But God, for his own reasons, it's actually not even told to us why, but God who knows the heart says, I'm going to pick this one and not that one. 
That's what's going to happen here. <clears throat> I wanted to say this to you, and I wanted you to see it, because so often we learn better when we see these words too. But it is a heart that truly wants what God wants and trusts him to do what is best that is at rest with his decision. Can I repeat that to you so you make sure you get it? It's the heart that truly wants what he wants and trusts him to do what is best that is at rest with the decision. We're going to see a decision made in the next verse. What's going to happen? Put yourself in the shoes of these individuals and feel for them in that. But as we go through life and we know him and we want what he wants, guess what? We find our hearts at peace, at rest with what he brings into our lives. Let's look at this next verse then. And they cast their lots and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. There's the answer. Matthias gets chosen. Did you ever even hear his name? Do you remember his name before we're talking about that here today? Probably not. Interesting. There's a couple things I want to highlight from this verse for you. One is, it says that they cast their lots. They were actually used to that. If you look back into the Old Testament, you'll see a number of examples where the lot was used to figure out, well, Lord, what do you want? We might call it the rolling of the dice or, or picking up the short straw. Probably in this case, there were probably some stones together. One represented one guy, one re represented the other. They shake that up, pick that up, oh, it's Matthias. Can you imagine such kind of decision making? You see, we are, we're, we're scientific. We know these things. So when you come to an interview, you know, you might have three interviews that we're trying to figure out who you are. And we want to know, well, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? And what are you bringing to the table? How do you think that you can help this company make more money? And we might even ask you to go through some kind of uh, personality uh, a test, trying to figure out certain things about you so that we can decide and, and pick because, because we really value our own ability. We really think that we know how to do this all so well, don't we? We're so foolish. And to ever think that we would leave it up to a roll of the dice? Are you kidding me, Tim? That's absolutely asinine. That's foolishness is what that is. Now, I just want you to know that in chapter 2, the Spirit of God is going to come. I'm cheating and telling you a little bit ahead of time. But he's going to come. And in Romans chapter 8, it tells us that the children of God are led by the Spirit of God. So what that means for us is now in the church age, you and I don't have to roll the dice to try to figure out what God wants. We have the Spirit of God living within us. So, so remember, we said way back when we started this out that the book of Acts is historical. That's what we, we want to glean from that. But it's not so much um, theological, meaning that we don't want to develop all of our theology out of this transition book. And it's possible for us to read something like this and think, okay, so for every decision we're going to make, we got to roll the dice. And if it's a one, we're going to go this way. And if it's a two, we're going to go this way. No, the children of God, which you are, if you today are sitting here having placed your trust in what Jesus Christ did as payment for your sin, because you couldn't do it, and you're trusting him and his finished work for that, you're now a child of the king, and guess what happens? The Spirit of God lives inside you instantaneously. You're indwelt by the Spirit of God because of what happened back in Acts chapter 2. 
So if you're a child of the God, a child of God, you have the Spirit of God, and He wants to lead you, and you can trust Him for that. The other thing that I want to highlight for you is Matthias was picked. Why? Why not Barsabbas? What did, what did, I wonder what Matthias thought. I wonder if his name was put out there and, and if he enter, ever entertained the idea of like, hoo, hoo, hoo. hey, I get to move up from the minors into the majors. You know what I'm saying? Like, woo-wee. Oh, Lord, pick me, pick me, pick me. Or I wonder if he said, oh, Lord, please pick him, pick him. I do not want to do this. You and I have the privilege of hindsight looking back and knowing that other than John, the record would be that all of those apostles died a, a, a martyr's death. That's what he was buying into. If he'd have known that, I'd have been like, pick him, Lord, pick him. Like, I'll step back and let him step forward, right? What was going through his mind? Did, did he swell up with pride only to bring that into captivity to the obedience of the Lord? Or was there a humility? We don't know. It's not told to us. But I'm just here to tell you that, that uh, this guy is no different than you and I. We're going to talk about these all um, here in a little bit. But are we willing, as far as that casting of the lots, are we willing to allow God to have a say or maybe I should say, have the say in our lives. Is he the one who gets the privilege of deciding whether you get that promotion or not? You see, the heart that is at rest is a heart that trusts him, the heart that knows him and knows, okay, Lord, I want that job. But if you don't have that job for me, my heart's at rest because I trust you to know what is best and I'm going to follow you, and it's not, well, God, you didn't give that to me, and you never give that kind of stuff to me, and I'm done with you, and just like Peter, I'm out of here. I quit. Like, what's going to be our reaction when that happens? Well, these guys were expressing, showing a trust in God is what they were. I want to highlight these people for you here real quick just as we wrap this up. God can use a life that is willing. Do you believe that? Oh, you might say, yes, I do. Only to find yourself in the moment. And remember, I've said before, your thinking determines your attitude, which determines your actions, right? And if you look at your actions, your actions are going to really tell you, help you to know what your thinking is. And so I say, yes, God, I trust you. But if my actions aren't consistent with that, I've got to be honest to say, I'm really, I really don't trust you. So, Lord, you're going to have to help me with this. Let's look at these individuals real quick. Peter, we've already talked about him. We've already, uh, uh, this is the beginning of that restoration. So guess what happens with this guy? This is a guy who, who has the ups and downs of life. Have you experienced the ups and downs of life? Sure, all of us do that, right? We, we're the, we can identify with rebuking the Lord. We can't identify with walking on the water, unfortunately. But I'll tell you what, we've seen some miraculous things that God has done maybe in our lives or in the people around us at times. We can identify with all of that. This guy is used by the Lord. He is just in the, in the next chapter. He's going to be standing up and challenging his nation to trust the Savior. Woohoo! You talk about an opportunity 
Scripture will record for us, he's the first one to be able to present to the Jews the gospel. He's the one who's able to present to the Gentiles the gospel. You talk about a privilege. This is a guy who actually gets to write two books. And in the first book that he writes, he actually says, uh, uh, most of the way through there, I think it's in chapter 3, if I remember right, he says, he's writing to, to Jewish believers who've been scattered all over the place and they're facing persecution. And he and encourages them to be strong in that and not to allow that persecution and the shame of taking on the Lord's name to stop them. He's been there, done that, right? He knows what that's like. He's had personal experience in that. And then God has restored him so that by the time he's writing this letter, he's able to say it with strength. He's able to say it like, as a, and I know. And then when he writes the second letter, he tells us in that letter, he says, hey, I'm about ready to leave. I'm about ready to die. And he says, just as the Lord has shown me. And he's referencing in his mind all the way back to that day on the beach when the Lord said, I, I get it, Pete. You can't tell me you love me the way I'm asking you, but the day's going to come when you're going to die for me. And he knew it. We'll see as we go through the book of Acts that Peter will have some more ups and downs. He's not done. Neither are we, right? Like we don't have the smooth, steady life. We've got ups and downs too. There's times when we'll fail and there's times when we'll ride the wave, so to speak. Peter will be in a situation, Galatians tells us about it, where he comes to, to, to this location and he's eating together with Gentiles, even though his culture says, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. And some Jews will show up and Peter will back up and say, nope, not eating together. And Paul's gonna have to go stand up to him and say, hey, Pete, you're not doing the right thing here right? You talk about a low. This is a guy, Acts will tell us about food descending from heaven and saying, hey, have a bite of this. And he's like, no way, I'm not touching that. No, no, that food has never crossed these pristine lips before. And the Lord's going to have to say, listen, what I tell you is clean. Don't you tell me is unclean. Ooh, okay, Lord. Knock, knock, knock. Uh, there's someone from Cornelius's house. He's a, a Gentile, by the way, and they want you to come with him. Okay. Right? Like, like we're going to watch this happen as we go through the book. Here's a guy with ups and downs you might call failures, but restoration. Sometimes we see ourselves as defined by our failures and not realizing that God can restore and does that work. And he doesn't do it like that. It's over time. The next guy is Matthias. He's a no-namer, as I call him. Someone who's not known. Nobody probably knew his name. Now we know it, but you know what? History, it's kind of disappeared. He doesn't fit into that whole list. But this guy was for three and a half years with the Lord. He probably didn't even know that all of that was training so that this moment would arrive, the aha moment. Here it is. I've been training you and teaching you and preparing for you uh, uh, to, to fit into this apostleship. There you are. He's stepping in as an individual who has the opportunity to witness. That's what Peter says. He's got to be a witness of all of these things so that he can proclaim, we serve a risen God. You're the same kind of person. You're a witness as well. Not because you saw this with your own eyes, but you've seen God at work. You're able to say, I know what it's like for God to save a soul because he saved mine. I was lost. I was blind. He's made me see. I put my trust in him for my salvation. And you can too, right? We have that opportunity. 
bar Sabbath. How many of you, don't raise your hand on this, let's avoid eye contact, it's a little bit sensitive. You know, in junior high, when they're picking for kickball, you're the last one picked. Okay, Tim, you're on our team. Like everybody's trying to keep Tim on the other team, not on their team, because he can't catch really well and he throws like a wimp and you know, all this. And you're the last one. And, and you're kind of ashamed, right? You're kind of like, yeah, I'm always the last one picked. Barsabbas, name put forward, doesn't even get picked. <laughs> At least I got on the team, right? He doesn't even get picked. What happens with him? We have no record in Scripture at all of what happens with him. But this I know. I know what God says about him as far as who he is in Christ. And I know that if his heart is willing to be used by God, God's able to use him. A no-namer and a no-picker, <laughs> if I can coin that one, right? And the last guy, Judas, here's a guy who walked and talked with the Lord also, saw all of those events, had the privilege of firsthand experience with some of this stuff. And guess what? He began well, but he didn't end well. He allowed the cares of this world, the things of interest of this world. In his case, it was silver, right? I want the money. So I'm willing to actually betray the Son of God. Have you ever wondered what would have happened if he had gone, oh my word, I can't believe what I have done. And he walks back to the Lord and says, I betrayed you. Would you forgive me? Have you ever wondered what the Lord would do? You don't have to wonder. We know the heart of God, don't we? We know that he would have been just like the prodigal son's father who was waiting for the son to come home, sees him coming and runs towards him and wants to embrace him. And as the prodigal son is saying, uh, uh, here's what I've rehearsed, Dad. Uh, I, I am so sorry for what I have done and wasted. I've got nothing to do with that. I know your heart. I love you. My son has returned. Instead, this guy seeks to solve his problems his own way, and it ends up in his death is what it ends up in. And you know that the Scripture also records a guy by the name of Demas. And the Word of God says about him, Demas has forsaken me. Paul's writing this, and he says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. I'm here to tell you that there's a lot of believers who are Demases and Judases, and we might be some of those too, where we, just like Peter, we say, I'm done, I'm finished, I'm going my own way, there's something else that's enticing me, and there's no restoration that occurs as a result of that. We can learn from Judas as well. God would have quickly, instantly forgiven him a repentant heart. Lord, I messed up. I sinned against you. Was it egregious? Yes. But God's able to use that for his own means, for his own accomplishment, and he can use the failures in our own lives too for the very same thing. So the last part is what about yours and mine? What about our lives? We see we're going to be reading through this whole book of Acts and we're seeing chapter after chapter after chapter of what God's doing. We talk about this as the triumph of the gospel. I love that phrase. Why do we say that? Because we're going to see through history, through the book of Acts, the gospel spreading from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and out into the uttermost parts of the world. And God is still doing that. He is not looking for a somebody. He's looking for a nobody, you and me, people who can identify with these kinds of characters. 
He can use a Peter. He can use a Matthias. He can use a Barsabbas. He can use a Judas if he'll agree with God about those things. And he can use a me, right? And he can use a you. So we're going to continue to watch this story of Acts as it unfolds for us and see God at work and trust him to appropriate that for ourselves. How do you want to use us today? Let's trust him for that. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the strength of being able to be up here and to speak. And what an awesome privilege you give. Thank you so much for just the benefit of that. Thank you for these verses that the author Luke has seen written or seen fit to write down that your spirit has moved so that he would record these. Not so that we're looking at uh, the details and just being enamored with them, but that those details tell us you're an awesome God and you are at work in the lives of people. And Lord, I've said that... Um, you can use a life that's willing. Sometimes we're just not willing. That's the reality. That's the cold, hard facts. I'm so thankful for your word in Philippians. It tells us that you work in us both to will and to do of your good pleasure. And it's not that you compromise that will and force that will. You just work in the realm of our will. And we recognize there's times, like I said, when we don't want to. And yet you continue to work so that our want changes. We want to live for you. We want for you to use our lives. So to that degree, Father, we just want to trust you in these days ahead. Maybe this week there's going to be somebody that doesn't know you as their Savior that you're going to put us into contact with and you're going to nudge us and you're going to say, hey, here's the opportunity. Open your mouth and we're not going to want to. Strengthen us. Remind us, Lord. We need to be people who will trust you knowing what your word says and counting on the Spirit of God to give us the strength. And in the times when we fail in those kinds of moments, we just recognize that and agree with you about that, Lord. We continue to see you use us and restore us and bring us back to a place where we're strengthened and we grow and we mature and we develop. These are the things that we're trusting you for, Lord. We're excited about them. We know that you'll accomplish those things through our lives as we yield to you. We pray it in Jesus' name.